Hey everybody, my name's Paige and I am the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barberton. We are so glad you're listening to our Sunday service podcast. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are so encouraged, challenged, and energized by what you hear. Let's jump into our new series, Follow Me, A Journey Through Luke. We're excited. We're in the midst of a series called Follow Me, where we're talking through the book of Luke and looking at this uh, ultra-famous statement of Jesus where he invites us to follow him. Now, the question I have for you to start today off is this. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Okay, think about it for a second. What does it mean to be blessed? Because here's the reality. This idea of blessed or blessing is actually something that is uh, coming across our culture in a really, really fascinating way over the last like 10 or so years. This idea of being blessed or this statement of being blessed or, or the idea of what it means to be blessed is a conversation that our world is happening, is having, and it is happening around us. I actually looked up online. I don't have any social media outlets, so I had to do this in some back, back road ways and stuff, but I looked up hashtag blessed right? What's interesting is when you look up hashtag blessed, the pictures that you get or the things that kind of jump in front of you usually are pictures of a serene beachside vacation, right? Or the new car you got for your 16th birthday or the relationship you just started or the experience you just had or the promotion that you just experienced, right? Hashtag blessed, right? is something that's trending across our world. I don't know how many millions of uh, tags it has, but it has a ton of different posts associated to it. And usually, usually, if not all the time, it has to do with something that happens to me, for me, that is positive. It's good. It's achievable. It's something that I finally made the mark on. And as we look at this next passage, I think Jesus is going to address what it actually means to be blessed. And I wonder if he's going to ask us the question, is our idea of blessed backwards? Is our idea of blessed backwards? Is it not really what we think it is or what the world would say it is or what social media would post about it being? Is it something far off and different? Because I think Jesus seems to think so. I think the blessing that Jesus invites us into actually looks very different than the blessing or hashtag blessing that we usually try to strive for and live for. Like I said, we're in this series called Follow Me. We're spending eight weeks looking at this invitation Jesus gives to all of us, but really to his first disciples. He says, follow me. And we're just kind of tracking with him through Luke 5 and Luke 6 and saying, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? Right? We can bumper sticker that statement, we can put it on a shirt, we can say it a lot from the front or in our groups, but what does it actually mean to follow Jesus with our life? And we started with this kind of as an overarching to the series. We said following Jesus, it has to do with my identity first, not just activity. Right? Following Jesus is not just an activity I partake in, but it's an identity that I attach to. And as we jumped into that, we started to just look at different stories where Jesus was very intentionally interacting with people. We said, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus in light of that? And so the first week, it's about three weeks ago, we said this, following Jesus is first and foremost an invitation to see Jesus, right? Seeing him, and Peter had this experience on the boat where they caught all these fish, and he saw Jesus for who Jesus actually is, He's the Messiah, the Lord, the King, and I want to attach my life to him. Easter weekend, we said this, that following Jesus is an invitation to the sick. We looked at Matthew, the tax collector, right? Jesus invited Matthew to follow him, which would have been scandalous in that day. We said, honestly, it's, it's just a picture of all of us, right? Spiritually, we're sick and in need of a doctor, in need of a Savior, that is Jesus. And then last week, we said following Jesus is an invitation into his leadership, right? That he came to save us and he jumped into the world of us, not just to kind of do his moral thing, right? But to save us and invite us to follow after something that is different and new and where he is king, a different kingdom that is dictated by his leadership. 
And as we jumped into those uh, sermons, if you missed them, I challenge you to go back on our website and look at them, right? It's an invitation to us all is what we're going to see. And what's interesting about this passage we're going to look at in Luke 6, we're going to be, is kind of a hinge point. It's kind of this point where things start to turn a little bit in Jesus' ministry, and he enters into this sermon of sorts. We're going to look at that because today... We're going to see that following Jesus is an invitation of blessing, okay? Following Jesus is an invitation of blessing. And I say that almost tongue-in-cheek because, um, honestly, that has a lot of connotations to it culturally, right? There's a lot of, lot of connotations to it, in particular when you talk about the, the prosperity gospel movement, right? And so following Jesus, right, it's like it's a blessing, and oftentimes what gets associated to following Jesus in unhealthy ways is if I follow Jesus and I give enough and I do enough, then all of the things that I want in life are going to follow after me. The car, the, the house, the successful job, the relationship, whatever it may be. And what we're going to see is this, that following Jesus is a different kind of blessing. And it's a different kind of invitation that you and I need to wrestle with. Because on a personal level, this passage wrecked me. Because it is not what meets the eye. It is not what our world would live for, and it is not what you and I maybe always would wrestle with and think about. But what Jesus does before he jumps into some really challenging passages to come, he jumps into this passage to let us know who he's come for and what it means to actually be blessed and have an understanding of that. We're in Luke 6. We're going to start in verse 17. Let me give you some background, though, first. In verse 12 through 16 of Luke 6, we see Jesus, he's on a mountainside. He's on a mountainside, and he's praying, which he often does. He spends time with his Father. And in particular, in that context, he is praying, and he's spending time wrestling over choosing the 12 disciples, Right? And so he's spending some time, he's praying, and then he kind of comes down from the mountainside and he verbalizes the 12 disciples or apostles that he is going to have follow him, his inner crew, right? The 12 that will kind of spend time with him, 24-7 with him, learn from him, be able to do ministry with him, all of those things. So he comes down and he names them off. Here are the 12. And then from there we go into verse 17 and ministry starts to very actively happen right away right? Think about that. Think about your first day on a job or something, or you got the job. Think, think about it. You got a job. They're like, you got the job, and then they're like, why don't you start now? That's kind of what happens to the disciples in this picture. Jesus is like, you're going to follow me. Now let's start doing this thing, because he went down from with them and stood on a level place, okay? So he's coming down from the mountainside, right? He's called the 12. They get down to a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. So this is what you got to note about Jesus' ministry, he had the 12, but he had a larger crowd of people following after him. Right? The people that followed him here, there, and everywhere wanted to learn from him and dive in with him. And a great number of people of all, from all over Judea, Jerusalem, coastal regions, and then they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. If you continue on to the next slide, I think it finishes. And the people all tried to touch him. Because power was coming from him and healing them all. Here's what I see in that passage. All right, disciples, not only were they called, but they were thrown in. They were thrown into what ministry was going to look like with Jesus. They come down from that mountainside, and if you just imagine the scene, there are tons of people waiting for him, right? This was Jesus' ministry nonstop. People just knew where he was. They were waiting for him. They were longing to be around him because something was different about him. You see some of his disciples, right? The masses of his disciples are there. But just people from Judea, Jerusalem, the coastal regions, they were there and they were there yearning to hear from him but to be healed. What I think is fascinating is what Luke notes. Just note it in your minds. What Luke notes is, is powerful in a lot of ways. He says that people noticed, experienced, could feel maybe even see, I'm not even sure, power dispensing from Jesus. Put yourself there. Just put yourself there for a second. Can you imagine 
all sorts of different people from different social status, from different backgrounds, from different experiences, from different pain points, from different stories, who have different things going on physically, mentally, emotionally, who are experiencing healing from Jesus. Imagine being in that setting. And he says, because power was coming from him and healing them all, people were just clamoring to be around him. There was something different about this guy. People started to take note of, this guy has something different that the others don't. Is he just a prophet? Is he just this? I'm not so sure because there is something to be attached to. And I think, I think this picture sets us up for what Jesus is about to share with his disciples. Because Jesus, he did not come, we saw in, Matthew 5, or in Luke 5, for the healthy, but for the sick. Jesus came to offer something different for those who needed it most. And what he wants his disciples to see is this, don't miss it. Don't miss me in the process. Because it's really easy to live life just kind of going and going and doing and doing and miss Jesus in the process. And that's where we see Luke 6, the conversation turn. Luke 6, verse 20, and then subsequently 24. The parallel passages here. Looking at his disciples, he said, right, and I'm not sure if that's to the 12 or to the mass of disciples, but he kind of makes a noted turn. He's healing power is dispensing, things are happening, and now let me share with you something that I need to share with you. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comforts. Right? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now listen, we're going to get into this a little bit more. That, in our cultural moment and throughout human history, seems backwards. Hashtag blessed doesn't follow up with how poor I am. Just doesn't on those social media. So what is Jesus talking about? First is this. Following Jesus is different than I think. Following Jesus is different than I think. Following Jesus is going to look different, and the invitation that he offers us feels different. It's countercultural. It's a little bit upside down, maybe a lot of bit upside down. It's going to look and feel very off, comparative to our human nature and maybe what the world has to say. But what's interesting is Jesus uses two words, two words to kind of start these phrases, blessings and woes. Blessings and woes. Let's just look at those for a second. Let's start with blessing. What in the world is blessing? What does that mean? Well, blessing, right? If you look at the Greek of it, it means to have favor or be graced or to be happy or to have this joy that's not dependent on circumstances. Almost like a serene, secret joy. You ever seen someone who's just joyful no matter what's going on externally? Have you ever seen someone that's just joyful no matter what's going on around them? And you're like, how in the world could you be that joyful? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's like, there's this blessing that feels different. It's not dependent on circumstance. It's not dependent on situations. It's not dependent on what's going on around me. He actually articulates it like this in Luke 6. Luke 6, verse 20 to 23. This is the entire, that first passage he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, those who weep and those who are hated for following Jesus. What? You have to stop. We read through this. I was reading through it and it didn't hit me the first time. That's not how you and I live. It's not. That's not how you and I think. It's not. It's not how we generally walk day to day in this life. If you're experiencing poverty, you're like, something's off and wrong. I'm not blessed, Jesus. If you're experiencing hunger, right? Like, I'm not blessed, Jesus. What are you talking about? 
It's not the list we associate with blessing. Why? Because in our world, we usually associate blessing to achievement, to success, to promotion, to accolades. If we are not experiencing those kind of things, success, achievement, accolades, then something is off and we need to try harder, work harder, go back to school and do better, whatever it may be, because I need to achieve something out of that. I was looking up all different sorts of, of uh, different variations of blessing in our culture. There's a, I don't know this statement or I don't know this uh, kind of uh, wording, but bless up. I don't know that's a wording in our cultural moment. Bless up, right? I won't be using it, but I guess that is a thing that people use. But the definition of that is to be thought of as praiseworthy by someone, to have someone's respect, right? And usually those terms wouldn't dictate a bless up response. Being poor or hungry or weeping or suffering doesn't generally attach to hashtag blessed. And Jesus is telling us something about blessing that is radically different. Because what Jesus does is he takes something very physical that you and I can feel and he transitions it spiritually. You see? He takes something very physical, poverty, being hungry, weeping, suffering, and he transitions it to something spiritual. Because what he is trying to say is this, blessed is the one who recognizes their need and sees it fulfilled in Jesus. That's where blessing is found. Blessing is not found in the accolades, the success, the recognition. It is actually found in attaching your life to Jesus because you recognize the deep need inside of your soul. And what he is doing is he's attaching very physical things that you and I may experience in this life, and he's trying to drill deeper into the heart of things. Because what he's not just saying is those in poverty physically, those hungry physically, those that are weeping now physically, but those spiritually that are impoverished, those spiritually hungry, those spiritually weeping, Yours is the kingdom of God when you attach your life to me. And here's the reality. What we'll see is this, is that more often than not, those who pick up on responding spiritually may be walking through these things physically. Right? Someone who might be in poverty, might be hungry, might be weeping, may see their spiritual need quicker than those than the next category that Jesus says are rich or are comfortable, or are well off in this life. What we see is this, in the kingdom, blessing is for those who recognize their needs, see it fulfilled in Jesus, but then he transitions, and I think it's a fascinating transition, because it doesn't just blessing, and then he kind of moves on, he even states some woes, which I found to be interesting. When I first read it, I thought it was like this, like, uh-oh, here comes the moment, Right? The blessing of the poor, blessing of those in need, right? And then woe are you who are rich. And I first read it from a description of a threat. Like, I'm going to get you. Woe actually can be interpreted as compassion. That woe isn't necessarily meant as a threat, but an invitation. Have you ever thought about it like that? Have you ever thought about Jesus having just as much compassion for those that are missing it than those who are getting it. And then he goes into this. He says, Luke 6, Luke 6, verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. In our world, the blessing is to that category. The blessing of the rich, the blessing of the fool, the blessing of the comfortable. In our default setting as human beings is to treasure things of this world. To treasure the riches, to treasure the comfortability, to treasure being well-fed, to be treasuring the comfort and the control of this life. And what's interesting is I think Jesus says, when those things are the things that you treasure, you miss the more important eternal things which are attached to me. That it's not wrong to be rich or to have riches. Right? It's not wrong to eat three meals a day. It's not wrong to laugh and enjoy life. 
But if those are the things that your life is built upon, you're missing something greater. If the comfortability of this life is masking the reality of your needs spiritually, you're missing something greater. And I think Jesus is presenting it to us in in a compassionate, inviting way, saying, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't let yourself think spiritually because you might have life all together or life is all comfortable, that you are without need and you can get by on your own because I've come for you also. I love how Jesus kind of takes it to the point, right? I wonder who's in that setting because he would have had rich and poor. He would have had men and women who would have gone without eating for days and, and some who would have had plenty, he would have had some who emotionally walked through a lot in life and, and, and some who maybe had a lot of comfortability in life. And he's sitting there and he is just going straight to the point. He says, I'm here for both of you. Don't miss it. Because I think where he wants us to sit upon and understand is where do we sit? I don't think what he's saying is if you're poor, or if you're hungry, or if you're weeping, then just because of that, you inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying if you're physically going through that, you're probably more likely to see your spiritual need for me, right? Think about where you were at when you met Jesus. Maybe you were in one of those seats, and I don't think he's saying if you're rich in this life or if, if you are not hungry and you've got enough to eat and, and you're enjoying life in different ways that you can't inherit the kingdom of God. I think physically those things can blind us and they can become comfortability to us that we actually miss our need for Jesus and what it means to live inside of his kingdom and not for just the things of this earth. And what Jesus is presenting to us is something different. It's not just have it all figured out and you'll attain all of this. It's not get yourself, kind of get to the point where you can present yourself to me, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He's like, I'm here for the ones who cannot do it for themselves. Follow me. Follow me. Embrace me. Come after me. Learn from me. Jump in with me. And I think that he wants us to find our place because here's the reality. This idea of being blessed is not just a moment in time thing that you and I struggle with, the understanding of that. It has been a human history thing we've struggled with. All right, Genesis 1.28 starts us. The beginning of time, this idea of being blessed, right, has kind of transitioned into our own way of thinking. This is where we see in the creation story, first man and woman, Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. You see what came first? It's not what they could offer to God, but what he offered them. And in offering them this relationship, he also offered them responsibility inside of his kingdom. And Adam and Eve which is just a mirror of you and I, were deceived and believed that they could live life on their own and become their own God and sit inside of the seat of the king and dictate life on how they wanted to. And when that took place, God threw them out of the Garden of Eden and said, try it. And that is where human history has just been in a cycle of us trying to be our own God. And when we take the seat of our own God, we make blessing all about what I can get and doing whatever I need to get it in and of this world. Well, just as long as I can step over here or do this over here or get enough over here, then I will be blessed. And it is all based on me sitting in the king's seat instead of looking to the king who is in the seat. And we've got it all mixed around. First and foremost, spiritually because blessing is recognizing my needs spiritually and responding to god's grace through jesus blessing is recognizing my needs spiritually and responding to god's grace through jesus and so the second point i have you write down is this jesus is the blessing jesus is the blessing all right 
What Jesus is offering them is not a list of to-dos or a top 10 ways to live or kind of a moralistic way of pursuit or if you kind of dress this way or do this lifestyle, then you'll kind of live a better life, right? And you'll be happy and joyful now. What he is offering them is himself. Because when you recognize that you are spiritually impoverished, when you're recognizing that you're spiritually hungry, when you recognize that you're spiritually weeping and there's something missing in your life, nothing else can fulfill it except for Jesus. Because Jesus would go on to tell us and different authors of scripture would go on to tell us that he is the bread of life for the hungry, that he is the king of kings for the weeping. He is the indescribable gift for the poor. He is the man of sorrow and the good shepherd for those who are mourning. In verse 22 and 23, we see Jesus articulate it this way. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Like what would it look like to attach your life to Jesus in such a way that you were known as a follower of him Everyone else knew that, responded to that, even to the point where you were being hated because of it. And yet there's still that joy because you know he's the blessing. And the rewards in heaven start with him. And there's probably a list to come. And will always be about him. The spiritual inheritance that we get through him starts, begins, finishes with him. What would it look like to start following Jesus in such that manner? Because I think Jesus, he came for those who are brokenhearted. He came for those who have a burden. He came for those who are weeping, who are lost, who are hungry. Because those are the ones that see their need. And for some of us, right, I believe there's two camps in this. For some of us, we sit on one side or the other of these camps, I think Jesus, being the blessing, wants to do one of two things. Either Jesus wants to confront your comfortability or or he wants to comfort those who are climbing. For some of us, and this is my story, he wants to confront your comfortability. Here's the reality about my story. I grew up in a very comfortable life. I pretty much, from day one, had everything that I needed. My parents, right, it was a roller coaster at first on, do we have enough, this and that, but for the most part, we had everything we needed. Three, day, three meals a day. I come from home from school, I'd have a snack. Even if it was just corn dogs and fish sticks, right, I had a snack there that was presented in front of me. Went to a healthy school, went, uh, had great experiences, had a great church community around me. Right? Lots of blessings. I got to play football in high school and experience a lot of things. Even now, if you were to look at my life, it is a very comfortable life. I have a job that provides for me and my family. I don't have to worry about when the next meal is going to be put on the table. Right? I have two kids who are healthy and running around, beautiful as I'll get out. I have a wonderful wife who's beautiful, and I just couldn't do life without her. We have great friends, a great church community, right? Life day in and day out, we pretty much have figured out. I have my calendar, right? I got things planned. I know what's to be assumed in the next couple days and all that comes with that. And I think Jesus wanted to do something inside of my heart during this week. Because I just wonder if inside of this passage, he wants to confront me that he wants to confront me, that am I living, pursuing those things, or do I see those things as a blessing from him? Or am I living in such a way that those things become the primary things and and I'm comfortable and, and I've got it all figured out and I have everything that I need, right? And am I losing sight of Jesus in the process? I just wonder spiritually where my soul is at. I'm not saying any of those are bad. And I don't wish them away, trust me. 
But I wonder if sometimes my life becomes so comfortable and so planned and so controlled that I lose sight of what it means to follow after him and pursue him as the blessing, not just these earthly things that if my day goes well and everything is fine and no one is sick and life can go on as normal, then that's the blessing. I wonder if he's asking me, what is filling up your life? Is it me or is it something else? Am I living for riches? Am I living for relationship? Am I living for popularity? Am I living for my identity and for what I want my identity to be? Is my comfortability in this life blinding me to the comfortability I have spiritually, maybe? Is maybe just what he's asking. I'm not saying that being rich is bad. I'm not saying that having all the toys is bad. I'm not saying that, but is living comfortably is being comfortable blinding me spiritually to comfortability do i yearn for the things of this kingdom or settle for the things of this world right then i started to process and 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 i just wonder right for me when i ask this next question i just wonder for me right am i using it for my benefit or to lean into Jesus more? This question I started to ask myself, am I using Jesus for a blessing or is Jesus the blessing? Am I using Jesus for a blessing or is Jesus the blessing? Am I just using Jesus and attaching my life to him so that I can ask for the things that I need in life and kind of live off of those things and he just becomes my, my supplier of blessings in this life? And I just attach to him when it becomes convenient or I attach to him when I don't have all the things figured out and all the things going on. I need someone to get my life figured out. Or is Jesus the blessing? Is Jesus the honest blessing of my life that I am pursuing and falling more in love with? And I think that's why Jesus wants to confront those who are comfortable. Not in a like shame on you way, but in a compassionate way, almost like a father whose children haven't been around in a while, who's sitting on the porch. They pull up and he is so giddy to see them because he's longed for them to see him and be with him. And he just cries out when they're not present because he knows that the things they're chasing after are not going to satisfy and fulfill are going to be riches now, but they will be impoverished later, are, going, are, are full now, but will be hungry later. They think they got it figured out, but they're going to see they missed out later because it wasn't him as the blessing. They were just using him for a blessing. And I think the God of the universe wants us to get outside of our comfortability for a second to see the deep need that you and I have you know what happens when I get comfortable? I think I have it all figured out. When life is going the way that I had planned, then I assume I must be the God of my life. Because yeah, that program went well, or that thing went well, or my family's doing well, and I can assume that I have it figured out and I miss Jesus in the process. And I don't allow him to do something in my heart that I cannot do for myself. Jesus might be confronting with the gospel. He might be confronting you with the gospel that ultimately you've never attached to before. Maybe you've done the church thing, maybe you've done the religious thing, maybe you've done the moralistic thing, but you've never let the gospel drill into your heart. And Jesus is like, whoa, compassion, Love, I want to invite you into this, but I need you to get out of yourself and see your deep need. Because here's the reality. Jesus, God himself, the son of God, left the right hand of the father in heaven to come down into the mess. And he lived life perfectly, lived the life that you and I could not live, died the death that we deserved and rose again. But here's the reality. On that cross, he died a bloody, brutal, messy death. On that cross, you and I 
visibly see the picture of what's going on in our heart when sin is in control. He died this brutal, messy death that if you and I could figure out a way to live, figure out salvation for ourselves, then what Jesus did on the cross is silly. Why would he have to go to that length? Why would he have to do that thing for us? Why would he have to get all messy and die for our sins, then spiritually take over and put it to death? It must mean that you and I have something going on in our hearts is pretty darn wrong. Right? For some of us, we need to stop and see it. That's where I'm at, to be honest. I literally was struck with this passage. I'm like, I get too comfortable. I get too comfortable living out life, and the gospel needs to confront me. But for others of us, listen, there's another group. There's another group that Jesus is comforting you because you're trying to climb to him. He's comforting those who are climbing right now. I remember I was uh, in college, and it was a summer between two of the years, and I had to get a job, right? You're not in school. You're home for summer. You get a job. And my father-in-law hooked me up with a roofer in the Doylestown area. This roofer, he was about 55. He'd been doing this for, I don't know, some 20, 30-some years. He was a champ. He was really fit. Uh, He made me jealous. I was like, wow, if I could just do this for 25 years, be the fittest guy around, right? And he brought me in, and uh, day one, I had no idea what I was doing. I was scared of heights, and I just didn't know how to talk roofing. All three of those things got cured by the end of summer, right? Uh, by the first day, I was fine with heights because you just had to to do the job, right? He taught me a lot, and I knew how to talk roofing in different ways. Now, could I own my own business? No, I could not. But I could help you take off a roof if you need me to. But here's the reality. What I found fascinating about that experience is this. That man who owned the roofing company did not invite me in because of anything I had to offer. It's because of what he had to offer me. There was nothing I had to offer him in the roofing realm. I was a gopher. Like, you go for that, and you go for that, and you go for that, and you bring it back. And I was like, cool. I had nothing to offer him in any sort of moving his business forward, in any sort of roofing way, in any sort of way that would would make it tangible for him to want to keep working with me. I probably slowed him down more than I allowed him to keep going, right? And yet, and yet he invited me in. And over time, what was interesting is this. The blessing wasn't what I had to offer him. It ended up not even being what he had to offer me. It became him. The talks we had at lunch, the moments where he taught me, the things that he would say to me, and all of a sudden I started to attach to him and learn from him in a really neat way. And I think Jesus, Jesus wants us to see him in that way. For you who are spiritually impoverished, for you who are spiritually hungry, for you who are spiritually, you're just, you're wrecked and you're weeping right now and you're trying to figure out life and you're not even sure why you're sitting here, but you're just here and you're trying and trying and trying. Jesus says, stop. I'm not inviting you based on what you have to offer. I'm inviting you to follow me based on what I have to offer you. Stop trying to climb. Don't you see I came down for you? It's not about where you're at on the mountain or if you have it all figured out or what kind of mess you can clean up back here. It's about the fact that I love you and I laid my life down for you. Following Jesus is let us about what I have to offer and more about responding to what he offers us, which is his grace and his mercy and his love and his sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon would put it like this, not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God's right? The first point of contact is not what I can shovel up and say, here you go. Is that enough? It is, look at the mess, and you said you'd invite me in still. You said you're gracious and kind. You want to invite me in even though even though I'm, I'm in poverty, even though I'm, I'm not well fed, even though I'm hungering and I'm trying to find those things in other ways, but But there's something about you, Jesus. He's gracious and he's kind, he's gentle and he's loving. And you might be sitting there and you're wondering, is it enough? Is my life enough? 
I'm climbing and I'm climbing and I'm climbing and I'm climbing. Matthew 11, Jesus would tell you this. We looked at this passage briefly last week. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Listen, some of us walk in here and we have just burdens. We're weary. Right? Physically for some of us, yeah. Emotionally for others of us, yes. Mentally for others of us, yes. But spiritually, you're wondering, is it enough? Is what I've done to try to work past that? Or Jesus, I'm not sure you're going to take me with this. You've had past church hurt. You've had past people hurt. You've had past things you've done and you're like, I don't know. Is it enough? Have I made it far enough? Have I done enough to present this to Jesus? And he says, stop. Following me is not about what you have to offer. It's about what I've offered you. Come to me if you're weary and burdens. Stop trying to climb. Stop trying to make it up the mountain. That was never the goal. That was never what I asked of you. What I asked of you is respond to me relationship with me because here's what he says I will give you rest I will give you rest when you start to find rest in Jesus you start to follow after him even more and more and more because he's the only one that can give you true rest physically emotionally mentally and spiritually and when you find that rest you won't help but be able to help following after him in life and in lesson He says, attach your life to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want to lead you in that. And so for some of us, that's where we're at. You're broken, you're carrying heavy weights, you have a burden you cannot carry on your own. Jesus is inviting you in. He's accessible, he's gentle, he's available. He just wants you to turn from living life out of your own willpower and your own might and your own way of living and just attach it to him and say yes to him to almost literally fall into his arms because of the rest that he brings and you don't have to try any harder to get to him. For some of us, that's where it starts today. Be comforted by the gospel. He wants you, he desires you, he longs for you to be in relationship with him. I don't know where you're at. Maybe for some of us, we are being confronted by the gospel. I invite you to maybe share with someone, talk with someone in your life group, a staff member, a volunteer. Because I think the gospel is just as potent there as it is anywhere else. For others of us, we are being comforted by the gospel today. Maybe you, for the first time, you've recognized your need, but giving that to Jesus hasn't been there. Maybe it hasn't been a response. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're, you're scared of what he's going to think of you or what others are going to think of you or do I have enough? He says, stop. I'm the blessing. When you attach your life to me and see your need, I fulfill the emptiness that is there. I want to invite the worship team to come up and I'm going to finish with one last point. I think there's something beautiful about this. But if it just gets left here, I, I think we miss something. Because here's the reality about a blessing. A blessing is meant to be shared. Right? That's why you see all the social media posts. I'm on the beach. Hashtag blessed. Share it, Right? There might be other reasons they're sharing it, but it's meant to be shared, right? You got the new car or you got the the stuff to come alongside of you, whatever it may be, right? To share with friends and family, right? Whatever it may be. If we do not see this blessing as shareable, we miss something. That following Jesus should break my heart for the lost. Following Jesus should break my heart for the lost. Here's the reality. For some of us, Jesus wants to confront us in a compassionate, kind, bold, truthful, audacious way. For others, he wants to uh, comfort us in love, wrap us in 
himself grace us and invite us in. No matter where you fall in those categories, he wants to confront in comfort for the sake of sending. He never confronts or comforts for the sake of just staying put. He wants us to go out to those who are in need. Need of him, but maybe a need of other things. Jesus' blessing does not end with us. It propels me into others' lives. Experiencing his blessing should break my heart for those who are broken, lost, and hurt. If he is the blessing, then he is the hope that people can attach their life to. Do I have compassion for those that are broken and hurt, those that are in need? My, my, my fear is for myself, right? I sit on this side where I'm really comfortable with life. I can get so comfortable that what I do is I sit in my quote-unquote house and I sit there and I'm amazed by how great I'm doing in life and I'm always shocked by how they're not keeping up or how they're not exactly how I would be or I'm not so sure. It's really easy for your comfort to lead into arrogance, pride, and judgment. It's really easy for us to just kind of intake the blessing and allow it to fill up our souls or just be for us and never allow it to go from us. What if the blessing, first and foremost, that I attach my life to being Jesus, became a prayer, became a prayer for those who have not connected their life to Jesus yet. That what if, if you have been blessed by Jesus in attaching your life to him spiritually, if you know what I mean? What if that moved us in such a way to pursue those who are lost? And the first thing we did was not just intake this all, but allow it to break our hearts. Because Jesus came after us when our hearts were broken. And I'm fearful that my heart isn't broken enough because I miss what the blessing is actually. What if when we attach our life to the truth of who Jesus is, it led us to a heart broken for those who have not attached their life instead of asking, why aren't they doing or why are they saying and why are they living life this way? Listen, eyes up here. If someone is impoverished, if someone is hungry, if someone is weeping, if someone is rich, if someone is well-fed, if someone is laughing without Jesus, they're going to try to fill that hole in whatever way possible. They just are. Addiction, drugs, sex, sexuality, whatever it may be, relationships, What if the blessing of Jesus led my heart to break for those who are lost instead of trying to fix them to become more like me? Just like Jesus came and offered me grace and mercy. So for some of us, we leave here and we're being confronted by the gospel. And Jesus wants to compassionately just kind of come after your heart. For others of us, We're being comforted by the gospel, right? He's gentle, he's patient, he's waiting for you. It's like a father sitting on the porch desiring for you to come running to him. But for all of us, no matter where you sit, he's sending us. One of the things I find neat to be a part of this community, inside of this campus, is the ways that I see this happening day in and day out. It is just deeply encouraging that your hearts break for those that don't know Jesus and you run into their lives. That's going to be happening all summer. That happens in your personal lives. Don't stop doing that. The moment we stop, that stops happening. The moment we lose sight of what the true blessing is, which is Jesus. Following Jesus is not about what I have to offer. 
It's not about the to-dos. It's about announcing the good news. And if you're in any of those boats, my invitation is talk to someone. Don't let it go past today. He desires a relationship with you. Following him is stepping into the, the reality that you cannot do it on your own and he's done it for you. Because here's the reality. The next several weeks, we're going to talk about some really hard things like loving your enemies, not judging, are you bearing fruit or not. And the more that you lean into Jesus and fall more in love with him, you'll fall more in love with what he is about. That's what he desires. Not that you just do a bunch of to-dos, but that you were to attach yourself to the good news that makes you new and allows you to follow after him more and more. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for being the blessing and for Jesus being the blessing and what he has done. The blessing is not what I own in this life or what I've done in this life. It is attaching my life to you and in the process laying down my life for the sake of others seeing you. Father, I pray as we enter into this last song that your grace and mercy, your spirit would just, just kind of hover over us. Would you poke and prod our heart in, in the ways that you desire to move and transform, Father. May this be about you and not about us. Father, so we give you this time just ask as we reflect that you would allow us to see our need. We praise you and we love you. We praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. If you'd like to reach out and connect with us or hear more about Grace Church, you can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day.